The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about media narratives and something that you and I like to do every once in a while. And we're going to step back from our normal format by having expert guests come in and us to debrief them in part because sometimes we just want to look at an issue from the 10,000 meter kind of view. And today we want to take a look at what's going on in Zambia. Now, very important before we start our discussion about Zambia, we know full well that we are obviously not there. We are obviously not privy to the opinions of the editors, the journalists, the social media commentators, obviously the president, Edgar Lungo, or the Chinese ambassador, or any of the principles that are there. So we're really looking at this from an outsider's view, particularly looking at the international news coverage and some of the trends that have happened. And the reason why we're focusing on Zambia is because it is one of the most interesting places to look at right now in terms of gauging popular perception and the narratives coming out of the West and how they're resonating in Africa and Zambia seems to be a real focal point right now for anti-Chinese sentiment in the aftermath of FOCAC. So, Kobus, the main objection that's coming out of Zambia today right now is the perception that the government is not being transparent and honest with the people due to the surging levels of debt with China. Yes, and, and as we discuss this, we also have to point out that not only are we not Zambian, we are also not economists. So, you know, debt is a big issue. Um, and, you know, the, the intricacies of debt is, 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 is key to the story. But we are looking at the ways that these narratives are being shaped in the media rather than the nitty gritty of the specifics of the Zambian debt, you know, which, which we hopefully will have a, a, an economist in later, you know, to discuss in more detail. Yes. Okay. So there's two articles in particular that we want to talk about. And again, these may or may not be reflective of the broader trend. So we have a lot of conditionals in our discussion today. And so it's a little bit more of a free-flowing discussion rather than anything definitive like we normally do. But let's take a look at article number one, uh, Kobus. And it was written by Agence France Presse. Uh, Say no to China. Anger mounts in Zambia over Beijing's presence. It was written on September 23rd, 2018. And the dates for these articles is going to be very, very important in part because there are some other events that circulate these dates. So 23rd of September, uh, this one comes out and it really is designed to, to represent the kind of take the pulse of the Zambian people who appear to be increasingly disillusioned with Edgar Lungo and also the idea that the debt is unsustainable. So the, the main part of it is that you start the article with China equals Hitler, said the sign held up in the Zambian capital, Lusaka, by a protester opposed to Beijing's tightening grip on the economy of the southern African nation. You know that when a conversation hits Hitler, it goes south <laughs> very quickly. And it just... It just strikes me as incredibly provocative. Maybe that's reflecting the tone of what people are thinking there, but it just bringing in that is, and now that of course resonated on, you know, ping-ponged around Twitter very, very fast. And it's shaping a lot of people's views outside of Africa as to what people in Zambia are thinking. 
Uh, what was your reaction when you saw that? Um, I was a little, you know, it, it, it intrigued me, um, but I, it, it also rang a bunch of alarm bells. You know, so, so the article is, is making, making the point that there's a kind of a groundswell of concern or anger in Zambia about, about debt to China. But then it, it, it proves that point by citing this protest, which is a protest of one person. Um, this is one person protesting in the street. Which is, you know, which is, which is then characterizes this as this groundswell of popular resistance, um, and then it goes on to to point out, or while pointing out that 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 all of the rumors that China might seize assets in Zambia in the case of a default, pointing out that that no no such seizures have taken place so far, and that these are rumors, it then goes on to essentially treat them as facts basically um you know to uh it, it kind of name checks at the uh, you know at the beginning that there are rumors and then go on to discuss in detail how there's so much popular resistance against this idea that china is taking over without really refuting or, or unpacking the complexities of the issue so it i found it a bit of a disturbing read i thought it was frustrating for me from a journalistic perspective because the, the story takes, you know, I'm looking at the paragraphs here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine paragraphs quoting this, the, the lone protester that you mentioned, a gentleman by the name of James Lukuku, and he, you know, it talks about, again, his Hitler quote, it is, uh, he has a, wearing a t-shirt that has a hashtag, say no to China, and he then kind of really uses this very provocative language. Here's a quote from James Lukuku. China is about to take everything from Zambia. They have taken over our economy through these criminal debts. This government is contracting debts from China, even without parliamentary approval. And again, that's not challenged. And what I thought was interesting was that they did not include someone like Judy Moore, who is the former Liberian public works or infrastructure minister that we spoke to. Uh, it doesn't provide any type of context. Now, James Lukuku's point of view is absolutely 100% legitimate. Uh, he's, this is a great, in my view, journalistically, this is a great person to have in your story. But to weight your story with eight paragraphs on that and then not to counterweight and to provide some other perspectives in order to put James's statement in context so that people really understand the perception. Is he just the only guy who thinks like this? Are there thousands of people that think like this? Are there people who disagree with him? Is there a dispute, a debate? And they make it sound like fact. And when the reporter uses such provocative language it, in this day and age without the necessary context that I think makes a responsible story, it really leads people to think that this is how everybody feels. And that, to me, was my biggest problem with it, is this the imbalance. And I see this happening more and more in Western media coverage of this debt trap diplomacy discussion. Yes. Um, and in the process, it, you know, I find it so frustrating because the, the debt trap diplomacy issue has, it raises a lot of legitimate questions. Um, it raises some, some questions that, that need to be answered, including, so if, uh, you know, if a country, an African country, say, or a, a developing country, if, if it gets a big loan from China and it then defaults, is it the, the, um, the Bretton Woods institutions, the World Bank and International Monetary Fund, you know, um, responsibility to bail them out? Or is it China's responsibility to bail it out? Like, how will that actually work logistically? That, that is a, that's a real question, and it's a question that needs to be answered, I think, quite urgently. 
But these don't contribute to that discussion at all. You know, kind of they, they, there's a lot of, of misinformation and innuendo and, you know, half-truths and so on mixed in. So it just muddies the water so much. And then it it makes, it, it kind of hooks everything to a kind of a China panic nationalist discourse, you know, which is which is resonating a lot of, of, of touching on a, on a bunch of anxieties in Africa about external control without unpacking the mechanisms of, of you know, the, or, or, or clarifying the weaknesses of of the specific African economy that they're talking about, so it doesn't really help anyone. You know, kind of it just it just kind of stokes the fire, but to, to no real end. Yeah, it does stoke the fire, and I and again, we haven't. The reason why we don't know this is because it hasn't happened anywhere in the world. Uh, Venezuela is probably the closest place to where we're seeing a default on Chinese loans, and not just Chinese loans, but a lot of other people's loans. Uh, and yet the Chinese went in and invested just another $250 million in, in Venezuela's uh, oil sector. Uh, so we haven't actually seen this yet. And so we don't know what will happen, which makes, in some respects, the fears a little bit premature. Now, I'm not suggesting that what the Chinese are doing and the way they're going about this is necessarily right or correct. I, I just want to be very clear here. I think what we're trying to point out here is not a defense of the Chinese side, but actually trying to kind of communicate what, uh, you know, what is really what we actually already know. And what we know is this hasn't happened. So to suggest that all of this will happen X, Y, and Z, when in fact there has been no default yet, is, uh, is again, to me, a little bit prejudicial and somewhat alarmist. And that's what, again, I think a lot of people are making big assumptions that either the Chinese will start to grab infrastructure, either then the debts will be have to be picked up by other uh, entities like international NGOs or, or creditors or, or other banks and whatnot, or the taxpayers of those countries. Uh, and it's still very early to, to know. What's your, what's your thought on that? Well, I mean, the, the one example that everyone raises in relation to this issue is the Hampantota port in Sri Lanka. Um, and, you know, people who've listened to, who listen to this podcast, you know, must be like rolling their eyes and skipping forward, you know, as, as we speak. But um, the, 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 the issue with the Hambantota port is that there wasn't, to, to, in my understanding, a full default. It was a, a preemptive discussion with a new government that was, wasn't committed to deals made by the previous government. So, you know, that, it, it's not a great situation, but at the same time, I think it's a more complicated situation than it's made out to be. It wasn't simply a default and then a takeover. It was a, it was a kind of a negotiated deal, possibly not a great one. Uh, but, you know, that, that needs to be taken into account. My worry is, is that, uh, you know, how to put this and to not sound, to not sound kind of conspiratorial, is that my feeling is that there's, there's a, you know, the, the, the debt trap narrative as we're seeing it at the moment isn't, it didn't just emerge out of nothing, you know. The, it, it it seems to be it seems to be part of a larger narrative that's that's being pushed by, by you know, kind of by by other actors outside of China and Africa. Which is not to say that the the, the concerns about about you know debt and even concerns about whether China is using debt strategically or not. 
um, you know, those are all concerns that need to be unpacked and discussed. Um, but the the narrative as we're seeing it at the moment is seems to me personally um, to be part of a larger narrative that's coming that, that 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 touches on a lot of anxieties about China's growth in the West rather than Africa. Um, and so, you know, the, I think that the debt trap narrative needs to be unpacked in more detail in a, in a larger context rather than just with the narrow China-Africa context. Let's move to another article, and this one is very, very interesting. It's Zambia's Sovereignty Concerns Put China in Crosshairs, published by Salem Solomon of The Voice of America on September 25th, 2018. Now, what's interesting is the, the, the connection between the AFP story that we just mentioned and the VOA story is James Lukuku. So that same protester, <laughs> the Lukuku brandished a homemade sign that read, China equals Hitler. So there was that same kind of narrative. And you see kind of how one person can create, you know, a lot of vibration in the media space. Uh, and it just kind of gets a moment. Now, I wrote a post on Twitter that generated quite a bit of discussion, uh, some 20,000 impressions. And I asked the question about the headline that Salem used. And so let me read you my tweet, and then we'll get into the discussion. China owns 28% of Zambia's debt. That means 72% of the rest is owned by Europeans, uh, international NGOs, and I was meaning like the World Bank, organizations like that, and others. So how is it that a country's sovereignty can be so threatened by another country that controls just a minority share of the debt? I am genuinely curious. And I link to Salem's article. And it prompted this amazing discussion. And I just have to say that I'm very, very proud of my Twitter followers who are just seem incredibly smart, much smarter than I am. And people kind of chimed in with all sorts of inputs and, and comments. And I really invite people to look through my Twitter feed for this discussion. It was uh, very, very interesting. Uh, well, it also prompted a response from the author, Salem Solomon. And she kind of, you know, she did an eight-part response on Twitter, which I also recommend that you look at. Her Twitter handle is Salem underscore Solomon. And in part two of her response, she says, the lone protester in the lead is described for what he is, a single person with some experience in Zambian opposition politics, taking a swipe at the government for perceived wrongdoing. And I thought that was fascinating, too, because, again, the article is, I mean, Lukuku's beef may not actually be with the Chinese. Uh, it has to do with the government because he's in opposition. He's on the opposition side. So this is, again, a much more complicated story. And I just think it's incredibly risky that international news organizations like the VOA and AFP are building stories around uh, someone like James Lukuku, who has uh, other objectives, possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's this, you know, it's not taking domestic politics into account. And as we've pointed out many times, so frequently in the case of Africa, like, you know, what, what is what is characterized by international press as anti-China protests is frequently, frequently plays diff slightly differently within a domestic African political context where that, where what is attacked is not necessarily Necessarily China itself, but the perception that the local government is in in bed with China, you know, um, which is which is a fine distinction, but I think an important one. So there's that that you know, and, and generally, you know, obviously 
you know, one of one of the one of the the problems I think with this coverage is that it's it raises this idea of that there's a domestic groundswell in Zambia without you know kind of international readers really being that interested in domestic politics in Zambia. You know, so so you never get to a place where these kind of complexities are teased out. But I think it also it plays into a different set of domestic pol- political issues, which is in the U.S. You know, which is which is in a particularly kind of fraught moment in relation to China. Um, and uh, you know, my my feeling is that that it. It, it's, it does some, it, you know, it, it, the issue of, of African debt in relation to China resonates at the moment in, in America domestically in a way that African debt on its own really d- doesn't and would never, you know, resonate. Um, you know, generally, I think the, the American electorate is not particularly interested in African debt. They are very interested in China, or some of them are very interested in China at the moment. And so there is this kind of interesting narrative where suddenly African debt becomes this issue, you know, this issue that, that now concerns the, you know, the, the consumers of, of American news. It's, it's just a very interesting moment for me. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at Wits China Africa or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. Well, let's pick up on this American angle in part because that is very relevant for the discussion about the Voice of America, which again is a government-run news organization in the United States. People are very passionate about the VOA on one side or the other. There are the journalists themselves, like Solomon, uh, like Salem Solomon, who I have spoken to just via Twitter on these issues. I don't believe that they are an independent news organization. I've worked in government news organizations, namely France 24, where I was the former editor-in-chief. I know how they say they are independent and autonomous, but they are still within a larger establishment. And I don't believe that the the VOA is truly independent. Now, that is... That is my right, my, my, my independent opinion. Uh, obviously, the journalists that work at VOA think differently. Salem thinks differently. And I know some other journalists there that are uh, very adamant that they have autonomy. The head of the Broadcasting Board of Governors who runs VOA is a Trump appointee. And you don't need a whole lot of intelligence to think that is it going to be possible to publish articles that fundamentally challenge American foreign policy, American exceptionalism, and American foreign policy doctrine. Uh, Those just, in my view, don't happen on the VOA. Good, well-meaning people disagree on this. But with that in mind, on the the same day, actually, that Salem's piece came out, uh, there was also a piece on CBS which quoted the CIA director, Gina Haspel, Now, generally in the United States, the CIA director almost never makes public speeches. So this was uh, a very unusual event and obviously newsworthy. I posted on Twitter a quote from Gina Haspel uh, on the same day as the Salem Solomon story. And here's the quote that I want to read. We are concerned by some of the tactics that the Chinese use offering poor countries investments and loans that perhaps those countries are not going to be able to repay and we want those countries to be aware how foreign investments in their infrastructure and their national security infrastructure can ultimately compromise their sovereignty. There's that word, sovereignty. Now let's go to Salem's article. Zambia's sovereignty concerns put China in the crosshairs. Now, 
I don't believe there was a conspiracy here. I do not believe that the VOA is taking direction from the CIA. I don't believe any of that. What I do believe is what you talked about is there is a momentum and there is an anti-China, there is a sentiment, and there's just this culture in Washington that feeds on itself and that becomes an echo chamber inside the Beltway. And the fact that Gina Haspel kind of mentioned sovereignty and then it shows up on a headline like this the same day as the Gina Haspel story is to me just kind of revealing in some ways about what the U.S. government feels. And so... Again, I'm not making direct connections there. I'm saying this is more of a culture in the media and a culture in Washington rather than, you know, one taking the lead from the other. Then the following week, we see the the Overseas Private Investment Corporation is now, uh, that's the U.S. uh, lending, one of the U.S. lending arms, is having a bill that's stuck in the Senate right now, but at the same time, it's making its way through for a $60 billion cash injection. And the head of OPIC is talking about the same thing. He is talking about China's predatory lending practices. We've heard this from the Secretary of State. We've heard it from, you know, any number of U.S. senior officials. And so the connection between U.S. politics, anti-China U.S. politics, and the, the kind of the mantra of the debt trap diplomacy narrative, and then showing up as in the media, and particularly in U.S. government funded media, to me is something that I think news consumers should be aware of. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, as, as we said, you know, we, we, we tend to, uh, you know, I personally don't um, think that this is probably uh, any kind of direct link. As you said, it, it seems to be I don't think so either. Of, yeah, of, of, of a set of talking points that seem to be floating around DC at the moment, you know, um, as it's, as there's almost always some form of talking point floating around. And and we also have to say that state-owned broadcasting, so state-funded broadcasting, it's it's a complicated issue. There's just different levels of, different levels of, of independence, you know, across the world in, in, in these kind of outfits. So, so they, you know, we're not making any particular kind of claims about VOA. Um, it's more, you know, it, it just seems it just seems revealing, you know, at, at that, that this kind of shared vocabulary is, 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 is popping up in all of these different places. I mean, it also raises some questions for me in relation to Zambia, particularly, because as we've seen, you know, in, in some of these articles and in the Zambian reporting itself, as more other articles emerging from within Zambia, is all of these anxieties being being you know raised about about asset takeover and all of these different companies being taken over? Um, one of which is is the Zambia National Broadcasting Corporation, and there's there's been a lot of a lot of allegations, you know, that the Zambian government have been trying to to refute, but not very successfully, that um, that the the corporation is going to be taken over by China. And I just had to, as someone who worked at at a state-owned national broadcaster in Africa, one with considerably more money, I would guess than than the, the ZNBC, I had to wonder why does it, why would China want that as an asset? Like what what would they get out of it? Con- considering that massive Chinese corporations are already you know kind of laying out cable TV right across the continent, it's, you know, it just you know as a strategic move. Even if you take if you take the argument that China is using debt in this kind of strategic way, how strategic an asset is the Zambia National Broadcasting Corporation? I, I don't know. No, but a lot of these aren't grounded in. Reality, because as you pointed out, the Zambian National Broadcasting Corporation is is really not worth that much. And I think this is really reflective of old thinking that when there are coups, the coup plotters will first go to the TV station to take that over and then be able to disseminate propaganda. And that's that that old kind of 
mentality. And I think some of that, these fantasies are kind of being projected into that. I, I personally don't see that. I think Star Times, for example, which is a semi-private Chinese company, is worth far more than ZNBC in, in Zambia. And, uh, and, and they don't need to take it over in order to have media access and media penetration in many parts of Africa. Um, but yeah, it brings I mean, up, they, they, have a, they have a massive media hub of their own in Nairobi. You know, that's kind of, right. Like, so yeah. it's just kind of like it doesn't make sense. So, you know, and it, I mean, I, I wasn't planning on touching on it, but I think we should because it's kind of sitting out there. Uh, this past week, there was the uh, publication of a very, very upsetting and disturbing video of four to five Chinese men brutally beating um, a, a black man. And I won't say that he's Zambian, in part because we actually don't know. We don't know about this video, where it was shot, when it was shot, who's in it, if the victim is actually who people say it is. The story was published on the Zambian Observer, which from my understanding is a UK opposition website. And it alleges that the man was being beaten because he was dating a Chinese girl. And what academics, you and I belong to the China, Africa, Africa's in China academic circle. And what we were talking about on that forum is similar to what other forensic journalists were looking at this video saying that the men who were beating the black man in the video, presumably African, was uh, actually not Chinese. They could not detect a Chinese dialect in it. They were hearing a, a Malaysian Chinese or some Southeast Asian Chinese. And, you know, but it just took off like fire. And one of the questions to ask, so the Zambian Observer had a whole story where they had quotes and they kind of fleshed it out, but they didn't actually reveal where they got this information from. So the Zambian Observer, I presume, is a pretty small scale operation that doesn't have correspondence in China because this video allegedly took place in China. And yet they had quotes and they had testimonials and they had a full-fledged story, presumably shot or done or written in China by a correspondent there that wasn't revealed. And it makes you wonder. Now, I'm not saying that the video isn't true. It may very well be true, but we can't tell from the video itself. And I think in this day and age of fake news and of intentionally placed material that is designed to inflame and arouse passions on social media, we have to be skeptical. And it's our job as news consumers to be skeptical and to ask these questions. So I got into a lot of very tense conversations with people on Facebook who were direct messaging me saying, see, this is proof. And I said, proof of what? You have a video <laughs> here, but it's not anchored in any fact that can validate what the Zambian observer is saying. And now to be fair, we have not received any confirmation yet from the internet as to where, when, and who was in this video, when it was shot, where it was shot, and who was in it. So there is no countervailing fact here either, I should say. So my skepticism of the video has not been disproven officially by others. There's no Snopes article that's been written about it, but it just strikes me as very, very sketchy. And I suggest that anybody who looks at the video look at it with a lot of skepticism. And the video also does not r reveal the conclusion. We don't see that the man being attacked was actually killed. Now he's being beaten to a pulp and there's a lot of blood. So one can assume that he's being killed, but the headline says he was killed. And again, as a news consumer, we have an obligation, I think, to question that. 
Yeah, I mean, as a whole, you know, the, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges in China Africa studies as a whole is is verifying data. You know, this is this is why um, you know the work done by by Deborah Brautigam's outfit at, at Johns Hopkins is so valuable because they put in so much work to to verify you know you know exact numbers, exact projects, um, star dates, finish dates, all of all of those kind of like nitty gritty details. But the way that they do it is literally by going to Africa and driving around and looking at things, you know. Um, so it's really hard. It's, it's, it's hard and it's expensive to, to, verify, to verify data in the China-Africa space because it's so massive and Africa is so massive and so frequently difficult to get around in and so on. So it... You know, it's it's one just has to point out all the time that you really have to be careful, um, and you really have to unpack these narratives with nuance because there's a lot a lot of people have a lot of vested interests in in these narratives, and, and they they they're busy pushing trying to push them in a whole bunch of different directions. And there's a lot of there's a lot of government funded you know media that doesn't look like government funded media kind of drifting around the China Africa space. So, and these are funded by a whole bunch of different governments who all have you know who all have preoccupations and and involvements of of various kinds. So, it's really important to to be quite hard nosed when you when you're looking at China Africa coverage because, to a large extent, the, the the relationship itself is so diffuse and kind of opaque and happening on on such a wide scale that you really you're really dependent on the coverage to try and keep track of it. But then you also have to be really careful of the coverage itself, you know, because because the coverage itself is a whole a whole can of worms on its own, um, and you know so. So it's 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 a it's a prime example of why everything, no matter whether it's investment, mining, forestry, whatever, what you're talking about in China Africa space is actually also a media studies thing. It's also something you're also analyzing media, even if you're talking about something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with media at all. Because this is what shapes people's opinion. So again, talking about the the words debt trap. And it's something it's a little bit controversial, but I decide to put the words debt trap in quotes. And people really get upset when I do that. And the reason that I do that is because debt trap to me is a political phrase that was designed by the U.S. State Department. So the first mention of debt trap was done by Rex Tillerson last year at George Mason University on the eve of his trip to South America. And he was challenging China's growing influence in South America, South and Central America. And he used the words debt trap and debt trap diplomacy. And from there, and that was to me the first origin of the word debt trap that I've seen in this context of the Chinese and the developing world, uh, it has become a, um, you know, a, a de facto way of the media talking about China as if it's a fact, an established fact. It's a little bit like the words Indo-Pacific. That's a political phrase designed to reframe the United States policy in Asia to be more uh, kind of focused against the Chinese. That's a great, for the, for the Americans, that's a perfectly fine position, but we as observers and outsiders don't necessarily have to adopt the U.S. government language. I just suggest that when you are consuming news, just the same way we shouldn't take the Chinese propaganda language of win-win and everything's great and we're just doing things as brothers in Africa, we should challenge their propaganda. We should also challenge the American propaganda. And debt trap, to me, is one of those. That's not to say that what the Chinese are doing is not necessarily 
not predatory lending. And how many nots can I put in there? Uh, but the idea is that they may actually be doing predatory lending, but we just don't necessarily need to use the words that come out of people like Rex Tillerson's mouth, or in this case, taking on the word sovereignty as a new issue that comes out of Gina Haspel's mouth and now out of the headlines, right into the headline of the Voice of America. I just think, I guess my final point, Cobus, is that we as news consumers have to be really, really skeptical. The same way that people are skeptical of you and me. You and I get a lot of questions. Who are we? What, where's our funding come from? What's our agenda here? And we've said over and over again that we have nothing to hide. ChinaAfricaProject.com slash about. You'll find out everything about us. You can email us directly and ask us. Well, we should ask those same questions of the journalists and the reporters. So when Salem Solomon uses the same quote as AFP and the same quote from, or the, she uses James Lukuku from the AFP report and then uses the same word as Gina Aspel from the CIA, I think we're entitled to ask that question. And when we see sketchy videos coming out onto the internet, um, we're obligated, all of us, you, me, everybody, to really wonder what's the agenda here? Is this legitimate information? And if not, where's it coming from? Finally, what makes this just so difficult is that the primary actors involved, whether it's the Zambian government or the Chinese government, are not transparent. They don't have people that we can talk to to explain things. They're incredibly opaque. They're incredibly evasive. And that just adds to people's doubts and frustrations as to what's really going on. And it just makes people so worried. And if these governments would actually just tone down their sketchiness and just talk to us, they might be able to diffuse a lot of these tensions, but they don't. And so I'm going to leave the thought that they're largely to blame for this, for the fear that's kind of being brought about. And I think people are right to be worried because Africa has really, really fresh memories of what a debt crisis feels like from 30 years ago in the 1980s and early 90s. And there's this sense that we're rolling right back into it completely blind and the powers that be are not doing much to reassure us that this is different. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, it's difficult for me to say again, because I'm not an economist, it's difficult for me to say how much, you know, whether, you know, at, at which stage concern about about Chinese in, or to concern about African debt or, you know, con concern raising African debt, but at which stage that passes into an actual African debt crisis, you know. Um, but it's, it's extremely high stakes is what I mean. And the... It, it it feels a little bit like whether it's a crisis now or it's a future crisis. It's you know it's it, my feeling is a little bit like we're, we're letting a good crisis go to waste in the sense that this is a really important moment to have a real discussion about the nature of African debt, about the nature of African debt to the West. Because again, you know, OPEC is announcing sixty billion dollars of fresh financing. Is that a debt trap? Who knows? You know, um, the the you know we we need to have a real discussion about what Af what African debt means for the rest for the for the world economy, um, what the position of the of the traditional institutions like the World Bank is in relation to Africa's debt to China, um, and how all of that stuff is going to be resolved when we inevitably hit some kind of roadblock in you know when you're dealing with more than fifty governments in relation to China. So you know it, this is a really important discussion to. Be having, but this isn't the discussion we're having. We're having some other discussion. Um, and, and I think it's really important to actually unpack the one we're having and to try and get to the really important one. Yeah. Okay. Let me leave everybody now with a few links and, and some Twitter handles, because I 
really want everybody to kind of dive into the information as as we have, and then to share what you think about our analysis and our assessment. Are we right? Are we wrong? I'll be honest with you. We're just kind of making this up as we go because this is really, really hard to figure out. Uh, so uh, first, here's the, this, the Salem Solomon arg- article from VOA. Zambia sovereignty concerns put China in crosshairs. Go to VOA News. It was on September 25th, 2018. And then go to September 26th on Salem Solomon's a Twitter feed, and she has an eight-part rebuttal to my question. Again, I didn't have a position. I was genuinely asking a question about how a country with only 28% of another country's debt can really challenge sovereignty. And she gave me a, a very thoughtful, respectful answer, and I really, really appreciate that. You can find Salem at, at Salem, S-A-L-E-M underscore Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N. Uh, she covers Africa for the VOA in Washington, so she too is not present in Zambia as well. Then uh, go check out the uh, the article, Say No to China, Anger Mounts in Zambia Over Beijing's Presence, written by AFP. You can find that on timeslive.co.za. Uh, that was written by the AFP. Again, you will hear uh, the name James Lukuku uh, uh, quite a bit, and this seems to be where he was first quoted and then others quoted him from there. Uh, and finally, a lot of the discussions that I've been having about this are on my Twitter feed at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And on September 25th, you will see the quote from Gina Haspel, who is the current director of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, and she mentions the word sovereignty. So I just found that was interesting that she mentioned sovereignty, then the VOA talks about sovereignty. And again, it just shows you this, what I think is an echo chamber in Washington that then spirals out. Uh, so that'll do it for this edition of the China and Africa podcast. Again, a little more freewheeling than we normally do. Uh, Kobus, I think this is kind of fun every once in a while to kind of break <laughs> format a little bit and just kind of have a chat with, with folks about what we're reading and what we're writing. Kobus and I, we, we obsess over this stuff every day. Uh, so much of the videos and the content that are coming out and we kind of what we try and do is curate it and just filter it. So that on our Twitter feeds, our Facebook feeds, on the podcasts, in our newsletter, we're getting rid of the the noise and giving you more signal. Um, And by the way, if you want to see the violent video and you haven't seen it, again, go to my Twitter feed on September 25th. I don't link to the video because I think that would be inappropriate. I link to the Reddit conversation about the video. And so you'll see on Reddit, there is a a, a very active conversation about that. So uh, I did not want to link to that video because I thought it was, uh, I personally think it's fake news. Um, I think it was intentionally put there. I'm skeptical about it, but again, no one really knows. So we'll be back next week with another, hopefully more formal edition of the China and Africa podcast. For Kobus Fenstaden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.